for November 16th, 2023, it's the Lullabot Podcast. The Lullabot Podcast, episode 267. I'm Matt Cleave, a senior developer at Lullabot. And today we welcome our new robot overlords. Lullabot is a strategy design development company, primarily working in the Drupal space, building websites for great clients. Today we're talking a little bit about AI, um, new tools that are out there that are, are maybe changing the pe- way people are working or enhancing or making it more difficult. We're going to hear from a few people from different parts of the company who uh, might be using AI tools, generative AI, in uh, new and interesting and different ways. Uh, to kick it off, we're going to bring on Lullabot CEO from Carbondale in the Colorado mountains. Hi, Seth Brown. Hi, good morning, or whatever it is, wherever you are. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the podcast about how to generate pictures of, like, monkeys riding dogs in red riding costumes. If you want it to be. (laughs) I thought that was the key, you know, uh, generative AI function. The world is your dog horse. (laughs) Also with us, we have our technical account executive from Orlando, Florida, Helena McCabe. Hi, Helena. And our content writer and strategist from Louisville, Kentucky, Matt Robison. Hi, Matt. Hello. Chief Operating Officer and Chairperson of the Board from Normal, Illinois, Karen Stevenson. Hi, Karen. Hello. How are you? People don't usually get that wrong, but that's good. (laughs) Normal sounds like a great place to be. Normal is a great place to be. It's where all the normal people are. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> also joining us later today is, uh, I, I understand, uh, Lullabot's Director of Technology, Andrew Berry, um, had a conflict, but should be joining us here shortly. Um, so generative AI. So we're all in a, a group of people that are talking about some AI tools within Lullabot and how we're using them and got together. And after our meeting yesterday, I just kind of sent out an invite to everybody who was there and said, hey, if you can make it to a podcast, I'd love to hear how you do it. So we have some folks who are executives who are dealing with sales and clients and writing for the website. I'm a developer. Andrew sees lots of technology too. Um, it seems like AI can impact everything we're doing at Lullabot in some, in some regard, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I got into GBT and it had sort of this mind blowing moment where I felt like, you know, this is going to be utterly transformational, like the way that the, you know, the internet was, the way mobile phones were, you know, it, there was no hesitation or doubt that, that I have sometimes felt with some of the other uh, technological innovations of the last four or five years where I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to be a thing or maybe that's not going to be a thing for a while. Uh, but this one, you know, just hit home immediately and certainly credit to OpenAI for, for the interface that, that made it so approachable. But um, I started using it for you know, all kinds of, uh, actually, this is going to make everyone uncomfortable, but legal questions. So clarifying <laughs> things about the ESOP or 
you know, asking, you know, as CEOs do, we, we have lots of legal questions and lawyers are super expensive. And it's not that I like that poor lawyer who used it to file their, uh, you know, their brief. I wasn't trying to actually have it generate things, but it was more just having a conversation to help educate me about certain areas of, you know, contract law or ESOP law or those sorts of things. And then, and, and then I realized just more and more use cases, you know, like monkeys riding on dogs, pictures, you know, now that we have Dolly 3 in um, GPT-4 Turbo, and uh, there's all kinds of cool things we can do now with these uh, GPTs, with the agents that are starting to come out. And so I find myself now, you know, using it a lot to check writing. Like it, it comes into my writing process a lot for RFPs and RFIs and stuff. But request the thing for that I was proposal and request for information. Information. Yep. Okay. And th that's so, something that a prospective client would send you saying, Hey, we, we need somebody to build our website. Maybe you can tell us about how you might do that. Right. That's exactly. kind of the RFP process in case somebody doesn't know. Yep. And so we do a lot of those and they're tedious and they're hard and they're always slightly different in a way that makes reuse difficult. Um, so, you know, you can do all sorts of things. You, you could create an agent, you know, and feed it now, like, let's say the last two or three proposals, because it's good at remixing and summarizing those sorts of things. Um, but you know you're you're definitely going to have to rewrite whatever it generates. Like it's 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 a co-pilot. It's a augmented intelligence. It maybe helps you brainstorm and think. It's it's no replacement yet for writing, although may, it may someday. Also, clients might not love hearing that their proposals were worked on by ChatGPT. Um, but I guess we should. Never mind. Never mind. I think at some level, that's kind of the scary world we're living in now. Is that you know. We, there was a when we were at NASIO, which was the state conference for state CIOs. One of the things that everyone was talking about in the uh, RFP AI session was literally that what happens in a world where you know basically bots are writing the RFPs and the RFIs and responding to them um, because that just seemed like such an obvious use case to everyone. They were Whoa. sort of like, this could break the whole process. You're gonna you're gonna have well, you know, robots talking to robots. It's and, just battle bots at this point. Yeah. We'll have we'll have our bots talk to your bots and we'll come yeah. up with something. Our bots will talk to each other and then make a decision and, and we'll we'll let you know if you got the job. Is a bot reading the response as well? Um not necessarily. Hopefully that's a human, but you know, as an evaluator, you could certainly use it to summarize, you could use it to compare, you to could thin the pack. I yep. mean, that's a thing like uh, on like the job indeed kind of stuff. They throw away half the resumes that come in before any human looks at it because it just keyword scans and says, well, these are the 20 that come the closest to what you're looking for. Just review these. It's it also sounds like Seth, you're not replying with a straight copy pasta of what the bot spits out. Um, you've mentioned that no. it's not always super and you might have to make some changes to, to everything that it thinks is right. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like nothing, nothing comes through either in code or in writing suggestions in my mind in a finalized or, you know, ready to use state. And so it's, it's much more about the interaction, I think with, um, generative AI and letting it help you brainstorm, question, explore, that sort of thing. And then, you know, the AI tools that we've traditionally had for writing, like things like Grammarly or Hemingway app, 
um, have also taken a leap forward recently. So like Hemingway app has added a new AI um, sentence rewriting feature. And that's at such a granular level that as an editor, it can kind of help you with something you've written, you know, when you have really long winded passages that are too complicated or verbose, you know, sometimes it'll give you some good suggestions for how to simplify. But again, these are all sort of augmented intelligence as opposed to artificial or replacing human intelligence. It's like rubber duck plus. Like mm -hmm. if you already have an idea, it can help you shape it. It can help you format it. You can bounce it off. And it's not just the wording also in the art space. Like I'm an oil painter in my spare time and being able to bounce ideas off of AI and see them visually before I start touching canvas or Photoshop. It's, it's a great springboard, but it can't replace that human element. At least not yet. One thing I see that is missing the human element is is definitely when it starts to write prose. Um, I'm not sure it has a solid voice that matches what you want to write. And that's where I want to bring Matt Robison into the conversation. Matt, I know you write a lot of stuff for our website. Um, how does ChatGPT end up, or, or other tools you might be using, end up helping you out or, or not being good or being good? How does it work for you? Yeah, I haven't found anything that you can just use one-to-one -one and not just feel terrible about. Um, <laughs> now, it has been helpful a little bit in brainstorming, as some other people have said, so I can give it, you know, I am the CMO of a major university. What are 10 things I should ask about when I'm evaluating CMSs for our website? It, stuff like that. And even then, I, I'm not using things verbatim but it does help get the juices flowing a little bit. Um, but it, it, a lot of it doesn't quite have that touch that you know someone has crafted something, um, at least in the writing portion. Now, I've seen some, some of the image generation that actually has fooled me sometimes. Um, but even then, a lot of artists are taking that and and tweaking it and tweaking what they get and using it as just like a rough draft. So, which is, which is interesting for you, Matt, if we can take the other part of your life into perspective, you've written a children's book and worked with an illustrator mm -hmm. and are in the process of a second. Is that something that you might be able to, to use on the art side of things? It's something that, I would like to be able to use. However, it's it's not going to be there for any type of narrative continual storytelling, I don't think, at least not anytime soon, because it cannot right now keep any sort of continuity between characters, at least not for... I don't know, you, you can... You, it, it will always be an approximation and not and you, you'll be able to tell that it was obviously randomly generated and not quite the same you can get a little closer that way um when chat gpt generates something if you prompt it you can say you know here's my prompt and also give me your speed and mm -hmm. then it will give you the prompt and it will tell you what random seed it used to generate that prompt 
And then in the future, you can say, hey, here's my prompt and please use seed, blah, blah, blah. And that will give you more similar results than you would have gotten otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And you can also send your own reference images to look at, mm -hmm. but yeah. But you have to make sure you ask it for the seed because it can't tell you later. If you don't ask for the seed, it just wipes it once it answers you and that seed's gone forever. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I wonder if having a, a GPT dedicated, like an agent as your co-author would give you similar results of consistency. Like I, I have not played with creating GPTs that much yet. They came out like what a week ago. Um, but that seems like one, another way you might approach getting some more consistency. Yeah, maybe if it's been fed the same info, you may get closer and closer. I've also found that sometimes though, it gets further and further away from what you want. Like, I'll start with a prompt and I'll be like, oh, this is very close. Can you just change this one little piece? And the drift, it gets like weirder and weirder. And I'm like, no, pull it back, back toward the thing mm -hmm. I had. Um, and sometimes it's easier to just start a whole new chat than try to coax that one. Like I found if, if chat GPT or if Dolly puts glasses on a character, I can never get them off again. There's nothing I can say to Dolly to get rid of those glasses once they're on. <laughs> that has to be kind of frustrating. I've even tried words like unbespectacled because I'm thinking like maybe it's saying like no and the word glasses and still putting glasses. And once they're on, they're on. They have perfect <laughs> eyesight. They're not hipsters. Yeah. Still nothing right. Man. <laughs> Also joining us, hey, I just came into the, the meeting. I, I, I foretold his presence. Um, I've introduced him on the podcast before as my favorite Canadian, Lullabots Director of T Technology, Andrew Barry. Hi, Andrew. Hello, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for uh, working around my unplanned house project schedule. Sometimes it happens. So how, uh, what has been your experience? How are you using any kind of generative AI? Have you written any code? Have you done anything fun? Yeah, so I, I've been using it basically as like a comparison to see like, okay, what do I get compared to what I would write? And, uh, you know, I used it um, most recently. I was curious to see what it would do for a DrupalCon session submission, right? Like, just like, you know, if I asked, if I gave it something and then said, you know, in the form, there's like, give three learning objectives. I know what they are because they're already in that description, right? Like they should, you know, you're saying the same thing in a different way and to see how it could come out with that. And, you know, what was interesting, I would say is like, you know, sometimes when you're writing and you don't know where to start and you just got like a blank form or a blank document or whatever, it feels like it's pretty clear that there's value in like having it start something because then you can get annoyed and angry at where it's wrong and then you start fixing it and that can be a lot of motivation um you know i had the same thing when i was uh trying out some of google's uh tools with an email and i like asked it to write a thanks but no thanks email and then it ended the email saying i look forward to following up and talking further and i was like Oh my goodness, no. And like it gave it's me the, the exact opposite to, of what I want. So yes, like, yeah. exactly. Thanks, but no thanks. You're, what you're saying is just to clarify, um, you're replying to somebody who wanted a job and you said, no, you can't have my job or this was actually a sales, a, a salesperson, email, but no, I don't want to deal yeah. with you today. I look forward right. to following up. Yeah. yeah. That's funny right. that you'd say that. Cause someone on Reddit was saying that when they asked the questions to stack overflow, sometimes what they would do is they would ask their question. And then if they didn't get an answer, they would sign into Stack Overflow with another account and answer it incorrectly. 
because people like correcting wrong people more than they like helping people. And if they put a wrong answer, they'd immediately get a bunch of good answers in reply. There's a name for that, right? Is there? I don't know. Uh, I just... XKCD386. <laughs> There's always an XKCD for anything. Cunningham's Law. Does that sound right? Google just uh, made oh. it right. Essentially, the, the way to get the right answer on the internet is to to publish the wrong answer. And somebody always has to well actually you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. Karen, have you uh, had the chance to use any of these tools or found anything interesting? Yeah, I, I've done a couple of different things. Um, one is we, we have long board meetings and we have to take notes. And Seth found a, a tool that will basically attend our board meetings and take notes and then summarize things for you. And then I can sort of reformat that into the, to the minutes, which is really interesting. But I found and utterly it, secure, Andrew, in case you're yeah. listening. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Andrew being Absolutely a, would never a member of the, the security team. At <laughs> yeah, we still yeah. have to have that discussion about security, but... Um, but the other thing that's funny is it, it either can give you every word, like every um, every ha, every pause, every single word, or or it tra or it condenses a two-hour meeting down into one sentence, like which is way too little. Like that's not even close to enough detail. So a lot of this is around, and, and actually kind of related to that. Seth was showing off something that he liked that summarized a, a pdf and I, I read the pdf and i said i think that pdf is as long as the document it was summarizing like you know it really was it just went on and on and on and on so um finding that happy middle ground of a useful summary like i i think that's an interesting area is you know what's the least you can say that still provides a useful amount of detail um and is accurate. And, and I don't know if that's a solved problem yet or not. So I'm curious, Karen, how you found the accuracy of the summaries, because I had uh, a summary created of some notes I had written where I met with someone and it rewrote the summary saying Seth had met with someone, which was completely false. Like he had no involvement whatsoever. It, it did occasionally have the wrong, attribute things to the wrong person. I did run into that, got the wrong speaker or something. Yeah. messed up on the audio i've had better luck with summaries than you all i feel like for one thing with this newest release of gpt4 the turbo version seems to be a little bit better actually at at summarizing and summarizing in a particular word length like you know give me a 500 word summary uh you know in ninth grade english or something like that and it, it does a fair job of it um, I've also used another tool that I, I've liked, although it's it, it does do lengthy summaries, but uh, there's a tool called genie.io, uh, uh, but it's spelled funny. It's like G-E-N-E-I.io. And it's it's a way to summarize, it'll summarize web pages, it'll summarize PDFs um, and break it out for you. And then you can organize your summaries into buckets. You know, So if I'm doing research on ESOPs over here and I'm doing research on competitive strategy over there, I can have different buckets that I, you know, 
keep those summaries in and, and pull notes from. And that's been kind of a handy tool, but it may actually just be GBT 3.5 under the hood. I'm not sure exactly what it's using as its um, as its AI. Sorry if I maligned our good friends over at Genie. I, I did not mean to, if that's not the case. <laughs> Goblin Tools uh, is a similar tool that I really enjoy. I have uh, terrible ADHD and Goblin Tools is so useful for me. It's You can tell it like a task, like I need to clean my kitchen. Can you make me a list? And it'll break cleaning your kitchen into a million steps. And you can even say like how many peppers of neurospicy you are and it will break it out even further. Like how much instruction do you need? Do you need five big tasks or 30 small ones? And it'll give you a list. Wow, it's so useful. Uh, I, I love it. Yeah, there's a lot of these so-called thin wrapper applications that you know you wonder, are they just going to be um, made obsolete by some, you know, near-term release of the big big generative ais or you know are these businesses going to continue to thrive and we're just going to have this huge ecosystem of um you know apps that we subscribe to that kind of performs certain functions in the you know with ai as the backup oh i hope this doesn't become like the the netflix hulu discovery plus <laughs> to yeah yeah oh i need 85 subscriptions because i already have like the journey and chat gpt and it's like i uh, i want to pay for another thing but they're all so exciting and i want to use them all so i keep <laughs> opening my wallet over and over um yeah seth what what have you done with agents the gpt agents that are fairly new you, you, um, you mentioned them and i kind of stumbled into one and i didn't know what i was looking at yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do all sorts of things. Like you could give it the, you know, a very simple example. You could give it a, a PDF of the um, uh, bylaws of your company, for instance, and ask it to act as uh, an interpreter for questions, you know, legal questions or something like that, that you might just want to have uh, a tool to rubber duck with. Um, you, you could, I'm not saying we've done this, Lena, but you could theoretically put a bunch of your recent rfp responses in as pdfs have it parse those and then ask it new rfp questions that are coming in in a new format and have it pull from your uh past responses you know and sort of summarize together things um and then also you could have it role play so you could you know put it in the role of a let's say you upload an rfi from um, you know, let's say Guam, I'm just going to pick something completely random. Right. And, and then you could say, you know, you're an IT stakeholder from the U S territory of Guam. You've just written an RFI, you know, here's the RFI, um, give this a persona, give the persona some characteristics and then have it sort of evaluate your answers, you know, like say, here's what I'm going to submit. What do you think of this? What's missing? What are your top three questions about what I've just written? You know, those sorts of things. So that's cool. And this is a yeah. plugin or an extension, or are you doing it through prompting? So you have to have GPT plus. Um, and then there's a little in the current UI, there's an explore button in the sidebar on the left and you click explore. It shows you some uh, GPTs that have been made by OpenAI. Like as an example, they have something called 
math mentor and math mentor helps parents help their kids with math need a 9 p.m refresher on geometry proofs i'm here for you <laughs> so that's like the description of an open ai gpt but then you can go click at the very top create a gpt um my gpts and then there's there's basically a create and a configure screen and create you kind of describe what you're trying to make and then in configure you can name your gpt give it a description upload files uh, pointed at websites. Um, I'm, I'm eager to play with that a little bit. I had, you know, the idea, I think it can even handle like authentication and stuff. So let's say we could, you know, point it at Lullabot's internet and make a um, GBT agent that's good at answering Lullabot benefits questions and take some of that uh, off the admin team. So let's have people start with the agent and ask their question, um, you know, about PTO days or, uh, 401k or whatever and see how the agent does before you you know hit someone in slack from the admin team like that could be a really interesting use case uh, i hate it i am the worst version of myself when i have to talk to a robot before i can talk to a person <laughs> i'm i'm that monster who will like call the health insurance phone robot and i'm like person, well, it was like person, zero zero human. zero mm. yeah. i just want a person agent <laughs> That brings up the other thing, which is what's safe to put into these things. Like, you know, that's that's what I keep wrestling with is I have something I'd like to do, but I don't know what I can put where, you know, where where am I going to lose control of my information? Where might where might my information leak out to somebody else? Uh, how do you know? We'll put a pin in that right after this. We're going to talk a little bit about security and these generative AI tools that we found to be useful, but can we trust them? Coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Lullabot Podcast. I, I, I stopped the conversation short because I knew it was going to go long. We're talking ChatGPT, generative AI, all the different tools that are becoming more and more useful in our everyday jobs. Um, but the question was security. Karen, I think you brought it up. Like if we're throwing a bunch of data at these robots, where does that data go? And what can we trust? When you use GPT-4, at least when I did the other day, it warned me. It was like, hey, don't give me anything sensitive. So it's apparently my fault now if I if it leaks something. But Matt, when, when has big tech ever used our data in ways that we didn't expect it to? I don't have an answer. <laughs> I think you do. Andrew, as, as the representative here from the Lullabot security team, tell me, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like all good engineering problems or fun business problems, the answer is it depends. And, um, you know, as an example, um, ChatGPT has their their free version or their personal version. And I actually, I haven't looked at like what their latest policies are around like the, you know, pay us 20 bucks a month for um, ChatGPT4. But um, in general, you know, especially if it's free or consumer oriented, you have to assume that they are keeping copies of every single prompt you put in, every single generated generated output, 
and that it's entirely possible they have human reviewers looking at those because they use that to judge the quality of their models. Um, you know, so you're the product. Right. And, uh, you know, Google is doing this right now. You know, my understanding is Google Bard, which is their sort of, again, you know, chat GPT competitor. You know, when I looked at it two weeks ago, it was saying that they uh, keep all data in it for three years and you cannot even ask to have it deleted. Um, so, you know, if you want those features, then you have to pay Google for their, you know, Google Workspaces version, uh, which is, you know, quite a bit more expensive. You know, it's 20 or 30 bucks a month. Um, so per you know, user, I think right? Per like, user. That yeah, was the yeah. pricing I saw. It's 20 or I think it was $30 a month per user. So I thought that was yeah. fairly hefty for a sizable organization. That... Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think part of this is this is early days. They don't know what the actual like infrastructure costs are going to be. But then the other part of it is like, look at how long it takes ChatGPT or MidJourney or any of these tools to actually return you a result. It's probably the slowest thing you do on the internet these days, right? Like the idea that you are watching words show word by word is not because they think it's a good user interface, it's because there's servers in a data center chugging really hard to give you every one of those. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of real infrastructure costs around this that, um, you know, is new. But to go back to like the security question, um, you know, I think if you, you know, for our listeners who are thinking of this from like a, a business perspective, you know, assume that you should probably be paying for generative AI tools if you want to have any control over your data. And from a personal perspective, um, you know, be careful about what you put in because, you know, you could write, you know, if you have it writing an email or a letter or something like that, that may not be something that you want it to have access to for eternity. Yeah. And so as, as we're talking from the perspective of Lullabot, like any sort of client data would, would be pretty sensitive and we wouldn't want out even Lullabot data maybe. So we just kind of have to figure that out along the way. I mean, along with the rest of the internet, I suppose. I mean, it can be helpful to ask it things like, here's my social security number. <laughs> What are the ways that I could better protect these nine digits? You know, that kind of thing. Um, no, I mean... Are these passwords secure? <laughs> yes. Not anymore. Here's my list of passwords for the, these websites. How could I improve them? Um, yeah. I, I sort of have a feeling that there's this kind of magic that happens in, you know, in the AI brain that somehow, like, the attribution is is lost but maybe that's you know my own misunderstanding of how it all works but uh you know that that it's not easy for them for instance to go pinpoint you know information that's been shared or leaked but then there was that issue that samsung had i think where they you know had had used it to write some an engineer used to write some source code and uh that got leaked somehow so who knows i think it's kind of like this algorithm database is like a big soup that we're all making together. And like, generally, if you pour an ingredient in, you're not going to be able to like specifically identify like, oh, there's the tomato puree that was poured into that soup. But you might find a clamshell if you throw a whole one in. It's, you know, a base of information. So one thing I initially said when I started playing with this, like, I don't know, almost a year ago, um, was that the one thing that's missing is any kind of unique thought 
but I suppose the unique thought is coming in every time you're asking it a question. If it's training it on you, you are, you are, you are now the system. Ah. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting, and, and this comes up over and over again when you talk to people about the results that they get, is the fact that you never get the same result twice. Like, even you ask the same thing, you will not get the same answer. You will keep getting different answers. And so that could be really interesting on if you're doing creative work, but if you're trying to do fact-checking, that makes me kind of nervous. Yeah. Um, so... The, the best explanation I've heard of somebody who's using it now, they say, treat it like as if an intern gave you this data. The intern might have done a great job. The intern might have any idea what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not rock solid, um, especially like with Dolly. I found uh, it's very similar to that scene in The Good Place. Uh, if you've seen it where he's like, do you have Eleanor Shellstrop's file or do you have a cactus? It's like, I have Eleanor Shellstrop's file. Are you sure you don't have a cactus? And she hands him the cactus. <laughs> it feels a little like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah it definitely has some he head-slapping dumb moments where you're just like, want to, you know, kind of throw it away. But then the next day, it'll completely blow your mind and impress you. And you're like, oh, my God, here we are. We've arrived. And, and it's funny, that inconsistency. But I'm imagining we're going to see less and less of that as it improves. I love the more people collaborate, like working on these things and like our techniques together online. There's always almost every day a moment where you're like, oh, I didn't know it could do that. But someone else found that it can on Reddit. And, you know, as we're iterating, I think we all become more powerful at using it. And then that makes it more powerful as we teach it how to do new things. Andrew, have you done any coding with uh, any kind of tools like this? Uh, little bits, actually. I haven't done, you know, I found that um, I've been waiting for a problem where it's like I have code or I know the code in one language and I need to transform it to a language I don't know very well. Um, just because I've read that that is actually a relatively good use case because it means you understand the algorithm, you understand mm -hmm. what you're trying to do, but you don't understand the syntax. And like, when I think about one of the problems of things that could be facts coming out of uh, GPT is that uh, there isn't a layer on top that allows you to go back and double check and be like, okay, is this sentence saying that, um, you know, this, this event occurred in 2017 actually happened. Now with a programming task, there is because you have the compiler, you have the programming language, your IDE can tell you if this code is valid or not. So, um, you know, I've been waiting for a chance to do that sort of thing with it. Um, but actually, I think, Matt, you've done more from a coding standpoint than I have. I have, but but being on the podcast, I feel like I always have to ask other people questions instead of me just rant and rave and you know, tell everybody how it is. But yeah, I have. Hey, so Matt, I, have you done any good programming? <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah, I have. Um, I, I've given a talk at a couple of different Drupal events about my experiences. So I've been doing Drupal for a long time. Um, but when it came to migrations, I was always the developer that sat really quietly when the project manager said, okay, who wants to do these migrations? And I never picked that up and, and, and had done that until very recently. So I knew it was something new I had to learn. Um, and 
these these tools were were coming out, and I thought, well, let's see what I can what I can do here. And I found ChatGPT to actually be fairly knowledgeable um, when it comes to Drupal. Um, th- there were definitely some limitations, but as far as like writing migration plugins, it was pretty great. I gave it a problem, and it didn't give me the e- the best solution, but it gave me a solution. And when you looked for the code that it returned, I did not find it on the internet. So it actually generated the logic to write the migration plugin that I needed. Um, But it could have been done with a migration plugin that was already in code, just using it a little bit differently. Um, So it wasn't smart, but it was okay. Um, I found uh, a couple of things where there was some decent limitations. A lot of times I would use it to just kind of stub out um, any kind of scaffolding that I might want for a plugin or something like that. And I found asking, I found myself asking ChatGPT to give me a process plugin where I can inject something from the service container. And I knew I needed to do uh, implement an interface of some kind. Um, and I, I, Googled quick for it. I didn't find the easy answer. So I thought, well, maybe AI can just stub it out for me and, and get the solution. And I found ChatGPT 3.5 did not have the solution. And 4 did. Um, I most recently used the Drupal coder agent because I kind of had this baseline of knowledge, like what I expected, and it failed. Um, and it, it, it was telling me that, oh, yeah, you can just do it using the Drupal object. It's like, yeah, I could. But Andrew would yell at me in my pull request if I did that. So for better, for worse, it was all right. I found the solutions became worse when you start asking the wrong question. When you're thinking something works a certain way and you're saying, how do I make it this work this way? It starts making up stuff that makes no sense in the real world because the real world knows that it doesn't work that way. So as long yeah. as as long as you're asking good questions, it comes up with good answers. But I also feel like really long Q and A on coding problems. You you almost, it's almost like interacting with a parent who's really trying to get a kid to go to bed and stop asking questions. <laughs> like the answers just get a little less accurate and worse, and they're more like just go to bed, kid. But the other day, I kind of experienced that same drift with code that Helena was talking about with Dolly three with the glasses where I was just asking it to, to write some HTML uh, and CSS uh, for a, um, like a, a simple, um, whatchamacallit, uh, oh, this is a great time for my mind to go blank, but for a, uh, what's the thing where you scroll in and the picture scrolls with you, a but parallax? not quite the same, a parallax. I was trying to write a parallax and I was having some trouble with the visibility of the layers and it threw in Z index, and that was definitely not the solution to the problem. And I was like, get rid of the Z index. And I kept asking it, but it just kept putting once the Z index was in there, it was like, nope, this is in there now. And can you please go away and stop asking questions? But I felt like, you know, it kind of loses the thread sometimes when you go along with it, trying to get your code to a better place. But maybe, Matt, that's just me asking the wrong questions and you were asking the right questions. Yeah. It, so, Did you say unbzindexed? Yes. yes. <laughs> DZ this thing, man. Unbzindexed. So I, I haven't actually noticed drift like that. Like I've, I I realize when I, when I come to the limitation of what the robot's telling me is right, um, when I keep saying, no, this isn't right, and here's why I think it's not right. 
Um, and it doesn't give me the right answer. But what I do, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, is I have one giant conversation that I've continued to have with the bot since almost the beginning of my trials. And I feel like that context still exists. So when I'm asking these migration questions, it already knows that I'm, migration, I'm migrating from a CSV document, not from a Drupal website. So yes, each individual chat window feeds on itself and is like a continuing conversation. So if you want to like crumple up the proverbial piece of paper and throw it away, you need to open a new chat window. But wasn't there some talk that context was getting lost in longer and longer uh, threads? And and maybe that's less true doubt with, with GPT-4 and, and GPT-4 Turbo, but... I, th I feel like I'd experienced that in the past, you know, where it starts to my, kind of lose focus. My understanding is that's actually one of the vectors for trying to escape the rules that they define to limit what can be returned. And so there's only so many, so much, so, so much, I, I think it's the context window and I am not an expert in this enough to know that that is the right term, but uh, you know, imagine you have room for, hundred thousand characters right and when you have more than that you get to a point where it's like well you just got to dump the ones at the that were put in at the beginning right or have some algorithm that tries to figure out which ones are most relevant to keep and um what's it man there was just a story it's based on tokens right like the number of tokens right. which yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah huh. i wonder uh, if that's to keep it from getting too smart <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm I'm willing to bet that it's a limitation on like physical resources more than anything. Maybe. Um, I, I keep reading articles or at least a, about a month or two ago, I, I kept seeing articles about how open AI was going broke because of the simple requirement for server space and, and cycles. To yeah. Like every work. question you ask costs us $30 and you're paying us like 20 bucks a month. I, the, so, well, what I remember I was a couple of cents, if, but yeah, if they would make like a higher tier. I would pay it if they would make a higher tier and just give me unlimited usage. Oh Especially no. Let's cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now they know. Like Dolly only lets you generate so many images a day and it's dynamically calculated based on how many people are using it. So instead of me knowing like, oh, I only have 20 left, it'll just randomly in the middle of using it, be like, ah, you're done today. Try it again in 17 hours. It's like, ah, I was using that. Um, so you can I, no longer dress your pug like Yoda. Your, your day would, is up. Yeah. <laughs> I would pay like a premium, premium subscription and just be able to keep using it. Yep. Sorry. That's probably my son's doing Mario versus Darth Vader. <laughs> or or trying to come up with movie posters to prank their friends. So, it's yeah. exactly the same kind of nonsense <laughs> I'm doing, so I can't begrudge them that. That's an amazing idea, actually. So, like, movies that don't exist? like Yep. Yep. <laughs> hey, look what's coming soon. <laughs> They're like, oh, man. That's awesome. That's been done with, um, was it Tron? They redid a movie as if it was done in the Tron style, if I'm remembering right. And this wasn't, like, on a service. You could just go and be like, generate me this movie. But um, yeah, that came out maybe eight months ago. <laughs> awesome. So Helena, are you, so you're limited by the number of total usages, not sort by of. your usages? So there's not, the official word 
of chat GPT is that you get 50 image generations a day. That is not true. I have generated hundreds of images in a day. But if a lot of people are using it, they dynamically adjust like what the limits are. And it's all kind of cloaked of why and how. So sometimes it just randomly kicks you off and they decide you're done for the day. Um, so but there's does no your count, real... Act, does when they, quote, fail and do something that you don't want... Does that yes, count? Yes, it does count, which is infuriating. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, it all counts. I tried to argue with ChatGPT about that. I was like, hey, that's not fair because you didn't do what I was asking. That's why I had to use so many prompts. It's not fair for you to kick me off. And ChatGPT was like, I'm a robot and I have no customer service abilities. So I'm sorry. You should write to customer service if you don't like this. All I can do is tell you the policy. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, one thing I wanted to ask you, um, I, I see on social medias, a, a long time Drupal person getting more and more frustrated, trying to read the Drupal planet because it's full of AI generated content. Do you think it will ever get to the point where this AI generated content doesn't seem like AI generated content? Um, well, the the scary thing is probably some of the AI generated content is is better than some of the human content. I mean, there's always been there's always been spam to try to game the search engine results, and a lot of it's really bad. But AI is probably better, which which is worse. Um, better at content or better at spamming the search engine? Better at spam would be much well, better at spamming the search. It can talk to with, robots, so yeah, it, it reaches yeah. that threshold um where it's good enough pretty easily um my guess is that a lot of the on amazon and a lot of the kindle uh, unlimited stuff is going to be start it, it can it can probably replicate a lot of the the trash that's on there you're talking about well. somebody who wrote a trashy romance novel yes yeah. a couple, I'm, couple I'm, hundred pages I'm guessing, and then yeah, story it on, types yeah, okay. story types that have a lot of tropes and are predictable, I would guess that it can crank those out very well. I bet fan fiction sites are getting a lot of submissions right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> huh. But in terms of actually good writing, not yet, but maybe, maybe someday. When you read something, how do you determine, like what, what is a trigger that you read something and say, a robot wrote this. Uh, hmm. There's a lot of like over overuse of passive voice. Okay. Um, maybe a lot of equivocations and I don't know. It's it's hard to put your finger on a lot of it. Um, a lot of it's maybe just well, I I could tell maybe a freshman in college wrote this, perhaps. I find I find vocabulary um, doesn't always fit. Like it, it might mm -hmm. be technically the right word, but it just doesn't feel right. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily how a human would put it, or it's generic. It's non-specific. Like it's it's one of those things like pornography that you can't you can't define, but you know it when you see it. You know, you read it, and it mm -hmm. just has a certain flavor to it, which is like, yeah, that's that's not a human cover letter that human written cover letter applicant that you just <laughs> submitted, and you can just sort of hell but i also wonder if those days are 
are wanting now. Like it's, it's, it's getting better fast. And like, when Mm -hmm. you think about how much it's improved, you know, 3.5 to four to four in the GPT world to four turbo, it's like, if it's going to get better at this pace, just like in chess, like there's going to become a point at which, you know, it surpasses human abilities right now. We're in this dance where sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. Depends on the task. Like there's, you know, it's helpful in some things. It's not helpful in others, but it does sort of seem like it is on a trajectory to make us all uh, obsolete or our skills obsolete. And uh, I wonder about that, Matt, like what happens? Are we still going to have jobs? Like, can I ask you that? Our podcast host, I, when I'm the CEO t- t- today, <laughs> that's up to you. Seth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I so I wrote that down as a as a bullet point. I didn't ask ChatGPT to to break down this podcast. Um, and I want to mention before I answer the question is one thing I noticed is that every time I ask ChatGPT to make a title for something, it really likes the two part title, like the this is a title colon this is the subtitle. Mm-hmm. I have found that. That um you can you can kind of get around the like this smells like Chat GPT wrote it by asking it to word it as a specific person. So if yeah. you say like write me this as if Seth Meyers wrote it or like <laughs> in Patton Oswalt's voice, it will give you like their exact sentence structure. It will really sound like that person, uh, less than a GPT. Kind of in jest, I asked it to write a a bio for me. Um, that I show at the beginning of my talk that I've been giving. And it was actually fairly scarily okay. It, it really told me that uh, I was knowledgeable about WordPress and Magento, but I'm not. <laughs> and it also said I was good at front end and I'm not. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was kind of like, here's a bunch of words because I, I've indexed the Lullabot site at some point and Here's a bunch of words that'll fit with that. And anyway, yeah. So voicing it like somebody else, that's a good tip. I'll have to try that. Yeah. That happened to David Burns too. He asked it to describe him and he was like, my parents would be so proud at this fictional David Burns and all of his accomplishments. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Has anyone else tried having like specifically asking it to speak like you? So like I tried saying like, write this in the style of Andrew Barry, who works at Lullabot and is in the Drupal community. And I gave it the links to uh, an article I wrote in 2019. So presumably it was in their index and it rewrote it. And it in no way felt like it was me. And I wasn't sure if that was because like, there's a difference, like there isn't enough content for it to, to be useful or if it was just bad, but it did do some really like, it, it, I mean, maybe it was telling me something about myself because the version it wrote was like way more hyperbolic and the headings were like completely out there. Like, uh, you know, in the article, I had one of the headings for like, you know, the step was like, you know, check out this Git repository. And the heading was clone and conquer. And I thought like, <laughs> that was hilarious. And I might use that as a one-off, but not an entire article of headings written that way. I kind of like- So it was like a conquer. caricature of you more than like you. Right. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, has anyone? No one else has tried that. No, but no. I'm gonna as soon as this yes. podcast is over. I'm <laughs> very excited to try that. So, so will we still have jobs? I, I guess we all have slightly different jobs. Um, I think as a developer, yeah, I'm not nervous yet. I think at this point, it's a tool, um, and I think if people aren't using it, I think they're not as efficient as they could be. Yes. 
I think we'll move into a lot more of synthesis and curation, or at least some aspects of that. Like even even when you look at some of the chess AIs that can like one to one a chess AI will beat a human, but then they've done studies of if they put a team of humans that are using the chess AI to help themselves, then they can beat a chess AI. And so that like because chess is so predictable and it has a set rule set that it's really good at tactics, but it, it's not as good as strategy as humans were. And so it, it, there's an interesting synthesis there that we might reach and some kind of equilibrium. What, what that looks like, I have no idea. But. I mean, I think we'll just all be, I think we will have jobs. And if you leverage technology like this the right way, you'll be better at your job. And you can do a lot less of the more boring, scutworky parts of your jobs and focus on the really interesting bits, which I love. Like, I look at AI as having like a very clever assistant, but it's not a replacement for a human. And that's from your perspective, dealing with, with clients and, you know, sourcing sales, right? So... Yes, um, definitely like in the sales field, it's very useful for writing, you know, things that would be like redundant or kind of boring to write. Um, but also like in other side hustles, like my father-in-law and I are playing with like a little side business for, you know, white labeling products and being like, hey, give me some market research on this product. Who would mm -hmm. my competitors be? And how much would these things cost? And it just, here you go. Mm -hmm. Like, cool, that would have taken me hours to chase down on the internet and I have it in my hand in 30 seconds. I think with one of the tricky things about that question is we can say, would we have, who will have jobs based on the way AI is now? And AI is changing so fast. Yep. And yeah. the more important question is what will be the case in, at the speed it's going in a few years, probably. We don't um, know. It's gonna, we don't it's know. It's gonna be massively different. Mm -hmm. The, the other side of it, though, that, and I keep thinking about this one where, where you have the doom and gloom where it's like AI is going to be doing everything. Well, the reality is if AI is doing everything, then who's going to buy this stuff? Because we're all broke. We're out of work. How, hmm. How's anybody going to buy it? I'm like the whole world's marketplace falls apart. Yeah, you still don't have people to buy things. My hope is that this will make things less expensive to produce. So right now, you know, it can take us hundreds of thousands of dollars to build you a beautiful website that meets the specifications you wanted. And it's a race to the bottom. What if we could leverage technology like this and make you something beautiful with way less effort and we don't need to charge you as much? And we could, you know, we could build way more websites in a year and people so, don't need to pay so, so much. So the designers are out of a job. Is that what you're saying? No. That's not what I'm saying because it can't replace. Ooh, you heard human. it here, folks. All it can do is accelerate and enhance what humans can do. And Karen, I don't know if if AI could get to that same place because there's some things that just kind of take that little spark of human spirit, and I, that's something that machinery doesn't replicate well. I, I, but the thing is, what would you have said AI could do three years ago? Mm. And it probably wouldn't be what you're seeing today. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. But I think so. It's the whole joke about like the engineer goes to the grocery store and his wife says, you know, get bread and if they have it or get milk and if they have eggs, get a dozen. And he comes home with a dozen milks. 
I think for for AI to really replace what we do well, clients would have to be able to very clearly explain exactly what they want. And that is something that clients tend not to be able to do easily. It takes a strategist like really kind of having like relationship counseling with like 20 stakeholders to figure that out. Um, and have the expertise to know when the answer is wrong. Yes. Right? Like, that too. You, you give a bunch of people who don't have deep training in web and web content and CMS and all of these other things. And you say, you know, use a generative AI to build a website, they're going to get a website, but they're not going to be happy with the result in the end. And they're not going to have the expertise to know why that is. Um, you know, it's kind of like going back to, you know, when people would rage out against autocomplete and IntelliSense and other things in IDEs saying, well, you don't know what the code is doing if you're having it generate a template for you. It's like, well, you still have to have enough expertise to know how to create the right template and fill in the right bits for it to do what you're being asked to do. Um, and, you know, I think the the risk that I see with tools like these is kind of like what we've seen in the, the world of search engine gaming is that we have a lot more low quality websites out there, right? That don't mm -hmm. solve people's needs that are just trying, to, you know, and that the people who own them and run them don't have the expertise in how to make them better. Um, but that at the high end, like, I don't necessarily see, you know, a, a what takes $300,000 to build a website today, all of a sudden costing $50,000. I see that the, all those things that you have in a discovery that are like, wouldn't it be nice if we could do this? Turn from a, no, it doesn't fit into your budget to, yes, it does, but that the budgets themselves will stay the same. Yes, that's, yeah, absolutely. I just feel like we could do more better using these tools. Of course we can. We just want more. I feel more. like, I, I like to take an analogy, I feel like we're like Luddites in the middle of destroying cotton gins and like someone walks in and says, what do you think about social media and what role yeah. is it going to play in the future? And they would have like zero context for that and they would not know what those jobs look like or what it would mean or anything like that. But there will be jobs, there'll be different jobs, um, and things are going to change because of these technologies, for sure, that seems certain. Like, uh, for right now, I feel like it takes a master or a professional of a craft in order to improve the work product of an AI to the point where it's even usable. But, that seems to be changing fast like it's catching up so when it does either catch up or surpass you know in particular professions some jobs may go away but i feel like there's going to be jobs on the other side of that that we're not you know able to anticipate you know and maybe even our best science fiction writers can't foresee yet um so i think change is the only certainty is kind of yeah where I mean, we're Drupal at. has done this like there was a period of time when it was a very technical job to just be responsible for writing HTML and working with tools to upload that to websites. And that was, you know, what we would historically have called the webmaster, right? And now Drupal says, hey, you have to know a little bit of HTML, maybe depending on how the website is set up, but the software is handling that part of it for you. And, you know, if you look at what our clients are building out for their teams, they're much more focused on 
things like web accessibility, good copywriting, a proper use of images to convey their messages, all of these sorts of things, which is a different skill set. But, you know, that person who was a webmaster, um, you know, in 2000 and didn't, you know, push their career towards, say, becoming a programmer or a designer or something else could have pushed their, their career to becoming that editor, that editor on that website. And they still have a job. They're still very valuable, but it's, you know, what they're doing day to day is still pretty different. Yeah. I mean, I think with all of this, it's not a question of like, how do we hamstring technology so that we can keep our jobs? It's how can we harness this technology to elevate what we can do so that my job is something more interesting than maybe it used to be because I have this doing the parts of my job that a robot can now do. Yeah. I love it. I recommend we all get together in five years and we can discuss how wrong we were. <laughs> From the side of the yeah, street no. in the boxes we live in. So when we're relying on the, the computers to write things, and this is probably just going to have to be fairly quick because we're already going long. We're relying on the computers to write things. Um, how do we know that we can use what they've written? Like, it seems like we're, we're kind of introducing... Uh, a, a new problem to the already hazy art of copyright law. Um, and I had a oh. question kind of related to that when I gave my talk at uh, GovCon and it was like, okay, so you're copying and pasting this code and you're using this code. You can use that code. And my answer was, yeah, I'm using GPL code and I might be copying somebody else's GPL code. I'm comfortable with that. Some lawyer might tell me I'm wrong, but Okay. It's it, open source. So the, one of the interesting things, it's not like, I mean, there's court cases that'll take years to come through, right? Um, one of the ways that I look at, you know, evaluating a service for business purposes is does the company you're procuring the AI tools from offer any sort of guarantee about whether you can use the content or not? So um, my, or sorry, Microsoft has recently released, I think they call it an AI covenant around all of their tools where basically they say that, you know, if any of their customers are um, sued, you know, as like what has happened with, I think, was it OpenAPI and Getty Images, um, you know, a couple other cases around software source code that they will take the risk for that, right? And that to me, you know, is a really good insurance policy from a, a business standpoint to know that um, some copyright troll isn't going to come and, you know, you can you can then go back to your your tool provider and have them deal with it um but you know i also think like you don't know that the code that you're getting from chat gpt is actually covered by the gpl because yeah. you don't know it can't attribute where it's being sourced from it could have come from you know in the drupal world something that was from symphony right <laughs> that is actually bsd or mit licensed or whatever and you know i would there's a, there's a a couple companies out there who are actually building generative AIs that allow you to like specify licenses. So you could say like, hey, only use um, GPL code when generating this so that you know it's all consistent. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's anyone big doing anything like that yet. How about with prose, Matt? With, with something that you might want to write and adjust and reuse or, or not? Yeah, there's not really a way to tell. Um, <laughs> other than we can kind of tell from, at this point, right? Yeah, other than yeah, if it's pulling from ideas, you have no idea if it's actually original thought, unless it is a complete hallucination. 
and you know it's a hallucination, then you can pretty be sh- be pretty sure that it is uh, original. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know some some author tried to you know list all the books by so and so, and it literally made up a book at the end of the list. I'm like, no, I I didn't write that. And so, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. And then he started playing with us. If I did write that, what would the first scene be type of thing? So I don't know. That's neat. <laughs> I know at least with like mid, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to ask you about art now. So oh, Helena, you've talked about, you know, using these tools with Dolly and, and art and one interesting thing I read once upon a time was that when you start asking to, you know, give me something in the style of another artist, say, you know, give me uh, some kind of picture or, you know, artwork in the style of Kincaid or Peter Max or something like, then you might end up crossing lines too. I mean, ethically, morally, probably yes. Uh, you probably shouldn't completely emulate an artist's style, uh, but legally, from what I've read, how it in the U.S. Not a big city lawyer, but <laughs> copyright law in the United States says that you cannot copyright anything that was not made by human hands, i.e. Yeah. AI. So while you're free to use whatever you generate in a mid journey or something like that, so is anyone else. So you wouldn't want to use that art for something that you wanted to keep for your company, like your new logo or something like that, because you can't copyright it. It doesn't belong to you. Um, so it's it's something to be taken with a little bit of caution. Interesting. One of the things that you know bothers me about the way this has all gone down, as far as you know, these these big AIs is like they have done the things that small companies or individuals uh, are completely blocked from doing, right? So like, uh, you know, chat GPT or open AI crawling the entire web, ignoring, you know, whether or not you agree with them or not, like the terms and conditions around what you can do with content on sites, right? Um, you know, they're, they, they are basically writing their own rules like Uber or any of these other companies where there's hoping that they get big enough, that they show enough value, that the, the laws and perceptions will change around them. And, you know, as someone who's more sort of, you know, in the, like I think about the world of open source software and sharing content that way, like I can't just write a web scraper and throw it on a web server and hope it's gonna work, right? I'm going to get blocked. Linode's going to get sent uh, legal requests asking for my accounts to be turned off and they're going to be turned off. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's this real asymmetry in terms of like the power between these large uh, AI companies right now and the limits in terms of like who else could break into the market or what individuals could do with it. And, you know, I feel like, you know, maybe we luck out and you know, from one perspective, we get to the other side of this and we say like, hey, you know, all those terms and conditions on websites that say you can't copy and paste text or whatever, maybe that all goes away. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, there's, we lead to a world where copyright is actually weakened in terms of, you know, what large corporations can say what they do with it, but it's probably gonna take a decade till we know that. Andrew, do you think maybe they're Robin Hooding a little bit for us there? I mean, like you said, well, I can't do this and scrape the internet, but if this tool that you have access to is allowed to do that, are they kind of like 
robbing that information for you and giving it to you? I think with you know the the pivot that OpenAI made from sort of being a for the public good research institution to being a fully for-profit business institution would indicate that they're not that's not their goal. Like it's certainly not or it's not what they want to be doing. I think, you know, all of these tools are trying to build up the biggest moats they can. So like you're used to working with ChatGPT uh, and, you know, any competitor is not going to have the historical context to, you know, of your interactions, the way that you use it, that the, the costs of moving are just going to be too high. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think we could continue to talk about everything, but it might be best if we point toward wrapping this up. So I'll give you all one last chance to act like we all know exactly what the future holds <laughs> and maybe have some takeaways yes. from our conversations and anything we might have from our experiences using these tools. I'll start with uh, Andrew. What does this mean for the average Drupal developer who wants to like put code up on Drupal.org or so on? And the good news is there's, um, you know, initial passes of policies up for that that you can find. If you look up AI generated content on Drupal.org, you'll find it. And, you know, they've just got some very basic guidelines around, you know, disclosure and review and what, you know, human intervention you need to provide. So take a look at that. And, you know, that's probably a good set of policies and guidelines for any work that you're doing with others, whether it's in your personal life or in your business life. So, you know, a good place to start. Karen. Uh, yeah, so many things. Um, one thing that I think is going to be really interesting is, is the impact on how do you know what's true? How do you know what's real? Um, that's just getting murkier and murkier and murkier as we go. And oh, yeah. it's not going to get any better. And I don't know how we're going to solve that. But we got to have some way of telling what's true. Yeah, coming into an election year, and, and we haven't even talked about deep fakes and, and other tools that are out there to, you know, make it look hallucinations, like... Hallucinations, you yeah. know. <laughs> you're, you're working with a tool that just makes things up, and we can't it's tell the difference. So. Whole own podcast right there. If I have enough video and, and audio of you, Karen, I can uh, I can make you stand in front of the presidential podium and give whatever speech I want. So that's right. Why don't you just have me run for president while you're at it? <laughs> She's a good candidate. You got I my vote. <laughs> Matt. I don't have anything else to add other than that. I can only predict the past. I can't really say what's going to happen in the future. That's true. Helena. I mean, I'm a pie-eyed optimist, so I'm very excited about this. Like, as a creative person, the idea of being able to, like, create as many things as I want, as quickly as I want, as fast as I can have ideas, it's, uh, ooh, it's very exciting. I'm like a kid in a candy store, and I hope all my teeth don't rot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would that mean? Like, if we're going to explode that metaphor, your teeth rotting from AI. Just like, you know, I'm, if you enjoy too much of a good thing, sometimes <laughs> it's not good for you. Um, I mean, I, I see my sleep already lacking because I'm like, oh, I can create this art and I can create art of that. And then it's two in the morning and I'm like, oh, I didn't sleep tonight. Oops. And you, um, you have littles at home. That's no fun. You can't do that. I know. I know. I need more <laughs> discipline, but it's just, ah, it's my new toy. It's so exciting. <laughs> Seth. I foresee the pictures of my Labrador in a yellow rain slicker getting better and better each year. Um, no, I, 
I guess for me, the thing that I identify most is the way that it's changing writing and my writing process. I used to work for a magazine and and had a team of editors that I would work with, and every piece was was better for it because you had a lot of minds to work with. Um, but that's expensive and hard to replicate when you don't work for a really good magazine. And so the thing that I'm amazed by is how much it's starting to feel like I can bring that level of resources and perspective to bear on my own writing just by using all of these various tools. Um, and so that's exciting to me, the way that writing, the, pro the writing process is changing and it's, and there's, you know, it feels less lonely, more interactive, there's more direct feedback available. Um, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. So but that's not a big prediction for the future. That's kind of here now. <laughs> no, the only prediction I have is that I would seriously love to revisit this a few years from now. I, know I said this earlier, but we can all just laugh at how wrong we are because we don't know what the future holds um, for lots of things, including, you know, how AI can affect us. Hopefully we still have jobs and money enough to afford podcasting equipment at that point. Well, <laughs> or we could just like, you know, do the new version of the podcast where you don't use any equipment and you just hang out and talk with your friends. <laughs> just AI versions of all of us and just see what happens. <laughs> I'll have my bots call your bots. Mm -hmm. I for one want to be the first to welcome our Skynet overlords <laughs> and we'll do whatever they ask. Yeah, I've been polite with my Google Home ever since that rolled out. I'm like, could you please call my phone? Because when the robots take over, I want them to know that I was nice to them when I asked them to address my refrigerator's temperature. I agree with you. That's a joke I made in my, in my talk. It was the, I'm always going to be nice to the bots because I never know what's coming. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. This was fun. Thanks. Thank you.